But yeah, let's do it. Liquid Movie Karma. Liquid Movie Karma. Great name. I do like it. Oh, is it Fluid Movie Karma? Is it Fluid Movie Karma? Yeah. I thought I, it was Liquid Karma. No, it's Fluid Karma. Do they never say Liquid Karma in the movie? No, I don't think so. Shit. Wait, so do we do Fluid Movie Karma? Or do we do Liquid Movie Karma? We can do either. I think if we're going for the Southland Tales, Paul. I mean... Isn't it virtually the same thing? It's identical, yeah, so like... So it should okay. be like, which one do you think sounds better? Like, say it and then figure it out. Movie karma. Liquid. I think liquid movie karma. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, I think that one just sounds better. It's punchier, yeah. No, I see what you mean. Cool, okay. Um, yeah, what okay. is what is it? What is the liquid fluid movie karma? Uh, it's the... <laughs> oh my god, what is that? Well, it's our it's our podcast. Yeah, but what? Is, but what is it? <laughs> it's all the fucking trauma that we put into movie watching. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I'm one hundred percent there, and it's also. I think it's like this. Um. Uh, just like crazy idea that there's something about watching movies that is like more than watching movies like a, a yeah. human project like you're putting yourself into it it's coming into you like things are changing you know it's not just watching a movie yeah the human instrumentality project of movie watching <laughs> yes dead ass like fuck yeah it is, yeah, it is the sense of, like, interpenetrability, like, between, like, it's not just investing the film with, like, your bullshit, it's allowing your bullshit to be, like, invested in by the film. That it's, like, this reflexive process in both directions. A perpetual motion machine. Exactly, exactly. The ocean moving inside us. This is why this is why we started with Southland Tales. It's it's all of movie watching in one movie. I think it's seriously like, um, it's probably like one of the best movies that's ever been made. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's it's so distinctly twenty first century too. It's like the edge of the new new cinema like what cinema can do given all the tools and instruments and reflections of the information age a technological age like late stage capitalism no it is like it is a film that is so profoundly of its time like so of its moment could not have been made in any other year yeah but also like it feels like this cumulative, like, aesthetic pinnacle of, like, the early 21st century. Yeah, and it's, it's a near, it's like a near future sci-fi film, essentially, that it takes place in 2008, like, uh, the beginning of the end of politics in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it is like, 
it's projective while also drawing from the Bush administration in like very clear ways. It's like, it feels so eerily like, and this is such a hack move, but like prescient, like in terms of capturing the political moment that like seems to be just perpetually like inscribed and reinscribed over the course of like this, like, relatively young century like that seems to be the pattern is that like we are both projecting like a future like degenerated inane like sort of um politics of performance and like have this sense of living in it like at the same time where it's like the apocalypse is on the horizon and happening simultaneously and you have to resolve like the contradiction of that experience that is like the practical subjective interior way that we experience like the world as it is yeah which which forces the film that could have been um like a genre exercise and looking to the future like a very um like a very uh like readable science fiction film actually like posits that the apocalypse will happen but people will experience it and it so it like becomes a melodrama yes yes it is it's a melodrama par excellence like yeah. honestly fuck yeah this right. is like a circian film and it's got like maybe one of the best uh like mirror scenes in cinema history oh it's so good it's the mirror scene is yeah yeah, I, I watched that scene and I got really high and stood in front of the mirror and like rocked back and forth. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yes, um, this is so dense and interesting. And then like, be- because of some of the other features of the film, it's not only just this. It's not only um, this kind of science fiction film, this kind of melodrama, but it's also like deeply metatextual. It's about the cinema itself. Oh, yes, definitely. Like, you can get that sense purely from, like, the very intro where, like, Kelly is obsessed with, like, these overlays, these screens within yes. screen, and, like, the very, like, chin- chintzy and, like, patently, like, false, like, manipulation of the image. But he's not interested in it in it like as like some kind of signifier of like detachment or like he's interested in its productive capability as like as an emotional like tool i don't know he's interested in it's like it's it's information the way we experience it in our lives but it's also like the whole totality of the story is contained in those images if you like pause it and look at every screen everything that's going on in the movie is there and so it is the movie itself um like i think about like the opening of resident evil which i think maybe we've talked about before on twitter um like that like slow push into the box but it's like it's not a push in it's like the screen is at a distance and it's coming nearer and nearer to the screen as if it's like inside the void and coming forward. Yeah, like the movie comes to the screen in this very self-conscious way. And then it and then it it goes through 
the screen because the camera actually pushes once the frame like meets the actual uh cinema screen then the camera keeps going and goes through and into the box and out of the box where there's some manipulator like you know uh taking care of uh these viruses uh like to me i see it as like super eisenstinian and then also just like super self-reflexive and i think the opening of southland tales is just like a an information age version of that same idea and it kind of ties in back to that idea of interpenetrability i was talking about earlier where like we are simultaneously like penetrating into like this cinematic like textual like element this diegetic world and yet it is coming to meet us it is like approaching us in like this like kind of implacable forward motion like forward momentum which i think like is tonally if not formally replicated in southland tales yes Okay, so, like, now I'm wondering, like, should we introduce the film? Like, talk a little bit about just, like, the what's going on? Yeah, of course. God, uh, that seems like a tall order. Do you want to give it a shot? Okay. Um, so, Southland Tales is um, the penultimate so far movie from beloved auteur of Donnie Darko fame, Richard Kelly. And it's this kind of sprawling science fiction, like hard to find another word for it than epic given the scale, um, which follows like the threads of a number of different characters all caught up in um, this kind of, national security come science fiction come like political like subversion sort of plot um that ultimately like these threads are woven through in really dense like um almost impenetrable ways um that don't really open up until later viewings um but it is sort of just trying to be a very like Gesamtkunstwerk kind of movie where it is the totality of cinema, the totality of like this kind of moment in the 21st century, like nearing kind of the end of like an era aesthetically and um, politically and it like I don't know it's very like it's, it's very much a it's summative a work yeah, yeah it's, it's almost impossible to describe it in terms that can communicate like what it is as an aesthetic object what it is as a narrative document even like it is so so vast yeah and like you just gotta watch it man yeah yeah i mean like this is and this is like i suppose the problem of interpretation 
is just that like yeah we could we could talk about like what happens in the film and we probably should we'll go on to do that but i think like for instance this movie was like despised like people hated this movie and it came out it was like a a uniquely um horrible seen as a uniquely horrible disaster at Cannes. um apparently uh roger ebert was like there's not there's been nothing worse since the brown bunny um which in i think each case uh i don't know like people aren't working hard enough to try to meet the film they're like resisting it or they have such a narrow band of interpretive tools at their disposal that they're just like okay these are characters who are doing things and i'm supposed to be firmly oriented in this world and know exactly what is going on because there's so much plot here but if you're trying to figure all of that out you're going to miss everything else that is going on with this film and it seems to me like that's what's happened i think the like the professional critical class is just, and this is typical, totally unable to resolve any of the dramatic or aesthetic or like narrative ironies at play. And so they assumed that the film was failing to like present them in a cogent way rather than, you know, recognizing that their critical faculties we're simply not up to the task. Yeah, they they should have just been like, "I'm stupid," and then moved on. <laughs> really, though, like that's. Well, I mean, I couldn't have that response to this movie. Nobody honestly. had anything interesting to say about it other than it was a mess. And like, what's first of all, what the fuck is wrong with that? And then, moreover, like, how the hell? How many words can you write about how? messy a movie is without being completely overjoyed with the idea yeah i mean we just we exist in a critical moment that despises like uh ambiguity and like non-neatness in like filmmaking when that's like that's the joy of movies for me it's like self-immolating text yes yeah absolutely but also this is like an inner it's so weird to me too because this is an entertaining film um and i think like what they saw was uh what they what they because they're like fundamentally anti-intellectual i think they saw the film and they were like this is pretentious and yet i can't even understand what's going on so it must be horrible it's a profoundly entertaining movie like moment to moment it's very funny Yes, it's like even if you're you're like I I think this is pretentious and stupid and I don't get it. Like it has sensuous qualities. It has it, it like really good fucking performances that are very smart and like like hilarious. Like it's it kind of like boggles my mind. It's such an easy watch that's so pleasant on its face and all of this extra work that I feel like I've put in just like thinking about the movie for hours and hours, you don't have to fucking do that to enjoy this. This is a good time. Good time in the movies. Yeah. It's got dance numbers. Oh my God. Yeah. The dance numbers and Richard Kelly managing to draw out like good performances, like contextually, like, 
very good performances from like The Rock and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh and, my like, god, Sarah Michelle Gellar is so fucking good in this movie. She's so good. And there's the- a reason like Krista now like is one of the most immediately recognizable like things about this movie. Well, her character too, yeah, just like incredible. Like on paper, what a like awesome, uh, like dense and like kind of like beautiful thing. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar embodies it like, um, like too well. It's like a tragedy that she doesn't do more work. Yeah, I mean, she got stuck in TV actress like Purgatory. Yeah. She yeah, she's never had a good relationship with uh, Buffy. Yeah, no, yeah, and it, I think it probably makes sense because you know she probably wanted to do something else. But she's Buffy forever now, which is just got to be brutal. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Oh yeah. <laughs> let's do like a little bit of a plotty thing. So like Dwayne the Rock Johnson is like a conservative uh should i explain the movie or should i not what do you think i think let's give some character introductions so we have like that background i feel like a plot kind of summary is impossible yeah it's way too twisty and huge it would be gibberish to anyone who hasn't already seen the movie honestly yeah, like, okay, so then we encourage you to, to watch this picture and then listen. Yes, very much so. Yeah, that should always be the case. I don't know. I, I'll listen to whatever, I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, that's the way I always did it when I was, like, listening to movie podcasts regularly, was I would watch the movie and then listen to it, because, like, I don't know. It's very childish, but I I don't like spoilers, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I definitely avoid any kind of like critical uh like interpretation of the film before seeing it. Yeah. No, I mean I'll obviously like letterboxed reviews as far as that counts as like a critical interpretation. Sure. Like will, like, get me to see something I wasn't initially interested in or that wasn't on my radar. But, like, in-depth criticism or, like, even just lengthy criticism, like, probably best to avoid before, like, encountering the work itself. Yeah, especially, like, a like a, like a movie coming out that, you know, you expect a lot of people to see and have something to say about. Yeah, yeah. It's like other, then you're just like subsumed by the like you know the the global interpretation like what everybody is kind of just like parroting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's like how. Um, sorry for being digressive, but there was this movie Crawl that came out last year. The alligator. Yes, the alligator movie where like. Or is it a crocodile movie? Fucking no clue, man. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Um, it's, it came out last year and, like, a lot of people were touting it as some, like, vulgar, auteurist, quote-unquote, classic, like... Yeah, okay, yeah. Because it was a perfunctory, like, genre exercise and they don't make those anymore, but it was, like, 
so like obnoxious going in with the baggage and then like I think it made me resent the movie more that it was like dressed up as something it wasn't for yeah, like yeah. the truth about that is that that's just people who don't fucking watch those movies in the first place and know nothing about it yeah no I feel like most of the people who were touting it as something more than it was don't really watch much genre fare yeah, let alone, like, exploitation or, you know, older things. People will be like, I only watch trash, but what they really mean is they only watch, like, movies from, like, the last decade or two and have never seen, like, exploitation movies made before, like, 2000. Yeah, there's, like, a there's like an incredible number of people who have never seen, like, uh, more than two, like, exploitation films. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of wild. So much exploitation cinema is, like, fascinating and, like, dense and, like, textually and historically interesting, and yet it's, like, objectively one of the least, like, watched categories. Yeah, and there's, like, this overwhelming assumption that they are, like, so-called B-movies, and somehow, like, lesser than, like, a larger, like, industrial film. And so we would expect them to be, like, formally incompetent or, like, or, like, a, a some, like, object of ridicule. But, like, not only is that, like, just a terrible way to think about this, um, it's fucking art and it's like a movie it's like doing things like if it doesn't like look like blood or something guess what like it's not blood it's a fucking movie like your assumption of realism like sucks and if that's the only way you can like watch a movie i feel sorry for you exactly exactly (laughs) but then it's like it's also that they've they've the the movies frequently don't even have those features they usually are like incredibly passionately carefully made and frequently like beautiful so it's just like so frustrating on all levels yeah yeah no it's like this uh kind of patronizing like parochial assumption that like these are like works in need of like reclamation like some special effort like on the part of you the critic to like reclaim and like dignify these but like now they're just good movies mostly yeah like the ones that like i have encountered because of like recommendations have been overwhelmingly like good or very interesting movies that i like didn't respond to or responded to in the same way that i do like most cinema it's like this i I just resent the way that people like even when they do watch them, they watch them with this very patronizing, like, critical lens, uh, at least in a lot of, like, horror circles mm-hmm. um, and, like, genre cinema circles. Like, the whole so bad it's good, like, ironic, like, kind of Yeah, the big, the big yikes of, uh, of interpretive strategies. Yeah, no, it's, it's the worst. I, I hate it. Yeah. Like same if you liked a movie and thought it was good you thought it was good you didn't think it was so bad it's good you were just enjoying the movie like there is no there is no other like 
there's no in-between state where it's a bad movie that you liked, really. Well, yeah, it's just a like con- you were appreciating something in it. It's just a contradiction of yeah, like the critical community pressing down or some kind of like overwhelming social idea pressing down on them and their own internal experience and so it like produces this like um this like bastardization of interpretation and expression of joy which is just like hesitant and like self-conscious it's it's terrible yeah no it's it's like this cognitive dissonance that they refuse to resolve for like they're at war with their own taste. Yeah. And I guess it's mildly, like, entertaining to see that tension play out. But, like, ultimately it's mostly frustrating because I'm like, you could just be enjoying things and not qualifying it because of, like, the assumed, like, cultural prestige of what you're watching. Or, or maybe, like, I'm just a dumbass because, like, when somebody approaches me and they say something like, you have to see this movie, it's so bad. I'm like, damn, you, like, really sold me. I can't wait to see the bad thing. Fuck you. Like, I'm not going to watch that movie. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrible way to talk about things you like. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Should we get back to Southland Tales? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good digression, um, though. I think that digression also applies somewhat to this because I think some of the critical confusion and some of the like the interpretive confusion with this film is due to some expectations of genre, which Richard Kelly seems like you know very plainly aware of and like very um, joyfully playing with. See, I think what a lot of people wanted was for him to make Donnie Darko like formally and tonally but transposed to like a new setting but like he's very much flouting like pretty much every convention he adhered to there like he is still like he's still interested in genre qua genre as like a way of delivering like formal innovation and like this kind of homeric quality um but, like, here he's, like, he's being, I think, more honest to his own, like, omnivorousness. This is, like, a very, like, intertextual experience because it is drawing from just about, like, every, like, category of, like, cultural phenomenon. Like, there's daytime talk shows, there's the Bible, there's, like... There's B-movie DNA in this. There's spy movie DNA in this. There's, like, almost everything you can think of that was, like, within the, like, discursive and, like, aesthetic structures of that era, like, preceding it, just got swept up into this, like, movie. And which is why I think part of why it was rejected so readily is because it's, like, very cynical in some ways reflection on like what the culture was doing at that time that big big anti-cop anti-usa energy yeah you look at like everything else from that decade that was made in the wake of 9-11 and it's like richard kelly is like one of the only people who is like able to turn around and like recognize the insanity of like 
the, the just eulogization and like cynical deployment of like that event as a justification for American imperialism and like yeah, well, like con- contrapose that to the fact that like two years after Southland Tales comes out, um, uh, you get Chris Nolan's The Dark Knight, which is pretty much an apology for the Bush administration, and looks at surveillance uh, as like you know uh, it's a very like Law and Order film. Um, the Batman uh, saves all of Gotham City, but no one will ever know the sacrifice that he made because they've been told a story and now he's the villain. Like, as you know, this is like George W. Bush or something. Um, and this film is huge and Southland Tales is like despised. Yeah, yeah, The Dark Knight is like the exemplar of like a strand of like action and genre filmmaking that predominated for a long time that was just like the only options available politically within like that framework are fascism and libertarianism and you know the dark knight represents their collapse into each other yeah like there is no more there is no more distinguishing them we are all fascist and we are all libertarian and that is just how it must be to prevent chaos well, yeah, and it has a very, like, neo-fascist libertarian aesthetic, too. Like, there's just nothing interesting going on. And that, in it, in it, it, at the same time, you start to see, like, this influx of, like, YouTube criticism that is, like, c- like craft-centric. And, and, like, you know, you have all these film students who, like, want to make Chris Nolan movies who are obsessed with, like... Um, all of these kind of like technical aspects, but have like literally like no soul, like no yeah. fucking soul. Um, and yeah, it's just a disaster that people like the dark Knight, And it's just a disaster that people don't like Southland tales. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good way to sum up like the energy going into this decade was like people rejected Southland Tales and went fucking hog wild over the Dark Knight. And, like, that's just definitive for this, like, critical moment, I feel like. Yeah, you can see the ways in which, um, not that it hinges upon, you know, these two particular films, but without a doubt, I mean, uh, the Dark Knight is, like, hugely influential for the way people think about film and film culture now especially younger people and uh it's you know the fact that southland tales was not like some kind of like obscure entity like donnie darko was this huge hit richard kelly uh was you know this was a highly anticipated film that just got like beat into submission by anyone who engaged with it yeah, I mean... It could have been a phenom. It could have been like Donnie Darko or bigger. And I mean, it has all of the ingredients for something like that. It's just it's got a goddamn tragedy. I mean, if you've seen... Have you seen the director's cut to Donnie Darko? Yeah, I don't, I don't really like it. I think it's very interesting as like a transitional text. Oh. Like, yeah. Because, like, the way overlays are used in that, like, and the way it, like, begins to move away from, like, 
the the confines of like traditional like narrative cleanliness yeah. like is v- very much says to me that Kelly was like rejecting to some degree those like those concerns even before his Southland Tales he was trying to move his cinema in a more avant-garde sort of like pop avant-garde direction and then like that DNA was always in Donnie Darko which like in fairness is a lot stranger and less like easy than people tend to give it credit for like it's it's pigeonholed as this like high schooler movie like for like depressed teen boys and like it serves that function like if you want it to but I think it's much more complex and like it is such a labor of like care and passion yeah that's just the curse of uh of like so-called cult popularity yeah i think people just like turned on it uh precisely because like if it could be massively enjoyed there must be some defect hidden or or on the surface that i was just too stupid to notice and it's like it's like jesus christ like stop resisting pleasure just like enjoy the fucking movie it's an intensely like fun movie yes yeah that's like willing to like be goofy and ridiculous and like for lack of a better word cringy in a way that like you never see that get made now like because everyone has like is afraid of making something that feels like like, not not even sincere, but just like like having like an authentic connection to human emotions that's not mediated through like some kind of like ironic defense mechanism. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, w- why are you wearing that that human suit? Is like uh, uh, kind of an all timer for me. I mean, I think it's like when you hear it, it rings to the ear is profoundly stupid um but i mean i think we all remembered it it's like all something that you can't forget it's dumb but it's like willfully dumb yeah playfully dumb like it's the kind of like it's like children it's like a children's storybook precisely for that it's deeply pleasurable because it's you know it's a rabbit hole haha that you can like fall into yeah like he's he's making a joke like that extends through the whole movie yeah like a joke that requires contextual awareness of like the whole movie and that you probably won't pick up on like the full like context of until you've seen the ending like it's clever yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. For all that it is like momentarily stupid, it's very clever construction. Yeah, and Southland Tales is pretty much like that kind of uh, tension, but times like a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you look at any individual moment, and it's objectively like dumb and like very immediately pleasurable. Yeah, like yeah, it has both those same qualities, but like. It's 
through the accumulation and like juxtaposition that it comes to take on this like emotive value so that it can like it sells like the climax as something that is like genuinely like emotionally resonant even as ironic as like it is it's like has this like apocalyptic like genuine apocalyptic weight to it yeah no no no. it is like teen horniness is not a crime oh my fucking god yeah one of the god tier dumb jokes of like the last like two decades of cinema yeah and it's like a running gag like he tells like several jokes yeah he brings it back like he brings it back as a cd like he brings it back in dialogue like it's a prop it's like this running like dialogic gag and it's they present a section of the actual song which is like so good it captures the look and feel of like big budget like bad white girl pop music at like that moment in time so well it's like eerie but I also I also think it's like you know I also think it's like sincere like I think it gets to like um like a psychoanalytic terror or shame of sex in a sexually repressed society um and like teenagers who are inundated and inside a world of like adolescent sexuality but are made to feel ashamed to like you know live their lives and so like i think the movie too is like broadly about trauma it's like each of these characters is like an embodiment or experience of like different distinct traumas with dwayne the rock johnson and sean price williams being like these disembodied broken totally thoroughly split people yeah exactly it's i have called it a great borderline personality disorder movie before and it really is because there's so much a film about identity and about like this whirlwind of identity is constantly being like rearranged in their position to each other and like to themselves and being broken apart and like reintegrated catastrophically it is like a film that is built on this very, like, traumatically, like, understood, like, play of identities, like, whereas in another, like, film that might be used, like, in a Hitchcock movie, it might be used, like, to serve the function of narrative pleasure. Here it is understood as, like, a traumatic, disintegrative aesthetic rupture. Oh, we're gonna have to do, like, a Hitchcock episode. (laughs) Cause I, oh, for sure, for cause, sure. Yeah, because I think Hitchcock has that element. I think he's just doing something uh, different. Yeah, no, I'm speaking from the last time I saw a Hitchcock movie being like a year ago. What did you watch? So, um, I've watched a couple Hitchcocks. Um, like, mostly the big names, Vertigo, Rear Window, Rope, a couple others. I like Hitchcock. Um but, like, I can't say I have a particular... That was perhaps a lazy kind of rhetorical deployment on my part. In the very least, though, I think you're right in the sense that, like, Hitchcock was was um, maybe, like, overly committed to building a commercial and entertaining film. Um, and it was really unpleasant to him 
to to have produced a film that was not enjoyable to an audience, regardless of what other layers or density might be there. Uh, he really was super committed to making entertaining films. Yeah, quite. Um, Whereas I... this, maybe Richard Kelly wanted to do what he wanted to do. Turns out it's also entertaining. Yeah, I feel like the point I was trying to make was not so much that the, like, total end of, like, the Hitchcockian rearrangement of identity is, like, just base pleasure mm-hmm. or entertainment, but, like, that that is the function that his films are interested in serving that Kelly is deliberately flouting. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, for Kelly, it's material. Like, this is, like, a historical materialist film which it's full of Marx's shit too. So makes sense. Yes. Yes. And very parodic. Like it's this very ironic kind of Marxist voice that runs throughout it because the characters who are professed neo-Marxists are not Marxists. Yeah. Everybody is in their own camp, but everybody underneath each camp has their own motives. Yeah, the depersonalized kind of, like, narratorial voice is honestly, like, the voice seems to be, like, Justin Timberlake and not at the same time. Like, that that is the closest we get to, like, a uh, an organizing perspective. Otherwise, we're just left to fend for ourselves in sorting out these, like, contradictory political and personal allegiances that like Kelly himself is constantly just tossing to the wind. Like, well, and it shows the ways in which an atomized individualism that is produced out of capitalism will be the, the necessary downfall of, of, of socialism because human beings at this late stage struggle so profoundly with the identification of a mission or a project that includes everyone or a huge group of people. Uh, and, and in this film, it's these kind of like the particularities of each individual and their interpersonal relationships and their material concerns produces in them, despite their allegiances, um, their own project that, um, that I think when you watch the film, it's one of the things that is so fundamentally confusing about it because R- Kelly groups in all these neo-Marxists, but then there's like adjacent, vaguely Marxist. There's adjacent neo-Marxists. They, they're all turning on each other. They're all, uh, they're all uh, communicating with the enemy different in like different ways. And I think like people just get lost in this. But I, first of all, this is like, how the world actually works <laughs> and then uh moreover it just like um it it provides the density that allows you to fall into the rabbit hole of the worlds of each of the characters to try to imagine what their individual projects are and like how they come to to betray their friends or or fall in love with someone else, uh, all these incongruencies. Yes, the the project that, like, I think Kelly tries to draw us into is kind of trying to sort out, like, 
some kind of map of identities and allegiances and identifications that we can, like, we assume we can, like, produce. But then I don't think that ultimately any kind of, like, narrative resolution regarding the characters and their, like, allegiances is possible. I feel that the sort of realignments are too frequent and too undetermined, too narratively undetermined to ultimately, like, integrate them into any kind of perspective, which is, like, as you were saying, very much the way the real world is, that you can never get a firm grasp on, like, on the political landscape and how, like, individual persons are situated within it, like, with any kind of certainty, you are ultimately left guessing and trying to integrate, like, contradictory information into your, like, narrative of the same person. And, like, that is what strikes me so brilliant about, like, the fact that this is an epic, because it is, like, an epic that is, like, profoundly disinterested in, like, narrative, that is disinterested in narrativizing our lives or a moment while, like, simultaneously capturing human life and, like, a political and social and cultural moment with, like, very, like, a very high degree of accuracy. It's, it's, it still just, like, I don't know, frustrates me so much that people don't like this movie. Um, but, yeah, uh, it also, like, it's a, to me, it's like a fundamentally, like, uh, it's like a fundamental film on conspiracy. And, like, this is also, like, how conspiracy looks. Uh, you know, you cannot, you can't make a totalizing sense of it because it's, a conspiracy is not systematized it's something that is enacted by people um just like a political uh, reality cannot be totalized and systematized to uh i mean i guess this is like anti-marxist but like whatever the fuck um because fundamentally everything is being exercised by people and then so like the film by eschewing this, this kind of like narrative cohesion ends up yeah very much becoming about like the the interior lives of people that we don't have any access to you know like anyone you meet i mean to some degree like this is i would be loath to call this any kind of marxist text in actuality but like in its divergence from marxism i think it is like more productive because it is about like what it is to be a leftist in a profoundly conservative society like this is this is the feeling of it to constantly be like unable to like epistemologically reconcile like your experience of the world and understanding of it with the world as it actually is producing this kind of like dissonance this fragmentation that like kelly is like willing to like compromise with and like depict rather than trying to resolve artificially yeah in which he like literalizes through the doppelgangers and then and that of course also is just like a very neat metaphor for for trauma um but also this kind of um what did you say interjection or interprojection between the screen and the audience 
Oh, I used the very psychosexually loaded uh, interpenetration. Interpenetration. And yeah, and I mean, that's what the film is doing. And at the end of the film, we see that literalized in a, a meeting of two uh, impossible uh, humans, the same and distinct uh, different and the same, just like a, uh, just like an impossibility, this kind of contradiction. Um, I see that literalization as like mirroring all of these other ideas that we've already talked about. Yes, I, I think the the doppelganger is like the key like kind of tool here to like understanding um, understanding it as like an emotional and like character based text. And like a spiritual that is, one as well. Yes, it is it's a deeply spiritual text as much as its deployment of like biblical like intonation is like at least partially ironic. It is very much about like Yeah, it's a spiritual those lines. Yeah. Yes. It is like is a soldier it's the suggestion that spirituality is like only carried by the like by the marginal by the like failed and the wounded and is like simultaneously like a deeply serious like concrete thing and also ridiculous like i find that more uh appealing in terms of my own sense of like spirituality than like if the text was uh more straight played it straighter yeah i think like krista now is like a, a like a really good embodiment of that as well as uh uh the rock like when he gives his uh speech of like what he understands is happening this kind of like prophecy this mission that he has and uh like the guy from mad tv is like like laughing about it uh and like sean price williams is like trying to understand what's going on recognizing that he's performing he's playing something but that that there's a certain sense to what um to what the rock is saying that he connects to and of course you discover as the film goes on that they do have this like deep unseen connection between them um but like as it unfolds in the movie, it's like this really complicated interrogation of like the difference of like a masked person, someone performing, someone who has to maintain a stance, and a real self buried or 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 somewhere else that could connect in the world in a way that their their masked self cannot. But I think that it also subverts the possibility of like understanding or like attaining some kind of non-performative selfhood by like the murkiness of which self is to be understood as real with any of the characters. Well, well, yeah, that's why Sean Price Williams' performance has to be like so fundamentally literalized and placed into a frame of like uh, political espionage Um, but yeah i mean like the real terror in in his character is of course his his doppelganger twin brother self out of space and time but 
him, but not. That is the, the kind of structuring opposition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Insofar as there is one. Yeah, but, but you know, it, it, it does have this, like, political espionage quality, too, because so many people are concealing their, you know, some kind of hidden motive, what, they, what they're really after. And then so each of those interpersonal relationships, while real and... Um, yeah, I mean, like, that. this is what you were getting at. It's like each of these experiences are equally real, equally performative. There's no difference. Yeah, it is ultimately not something that we are able to interrogate with any kind of finality. You can't, like, just wiki your way to an answer and which is, like, the real person who is faking it and what the real allegiances are. There's no, like, you can't brute force it by understanding it as lore or, like, within the diegesis. You have to understand it and you have to meet it at that kind of metatextual level, which is, I think, another part of why critics responded so poorly is because they are totally unwilling to, like, meet movies at that level of metatext instead of just embedding themselves in the diegesis. So there's like another feature to that though that that makes it even more complicated I think which is that like several of the characters very willfully um make um you know life or death sacrifices in this movie like I think like there is this kind of distinction between some of the characters who are so embedded inside the mission or the system that they're underneath like so you can take for example the republican uh nominee for president um, mm. who is like being blackmailed by the neo-marxists and who is trying to find uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson before there's some kind of like scandal and there's all of these kind of like moving parts um but he is a character at least in uh the non-can cut who it seems um lost inside that system unable to like uh to like even come to a position where he could see himself as a working instrument in it like he is the the thing itself i feel that he is this like historiographic joke like this joke at the expense of like culture i mean they name him bobby frost and he keeps quoting, um, like, two roads diverged in oh, the yellow yeah. and everything. And yeah. it's, like, this prolonged, like, joke, which has no punchline. It's never resolved. It's just this, like, sense of, his like, history collapsing, like, into, like, inanity. Like, utter inanity. And, like... I find it so interesting that, like, poet that they pulled, too, because, like, that is interesting intertextually because he is a poet who's, like, often misread in this yeah. very conservative sense. Yeah, I Like, in this tame conservative way, but, like, then I, I feel like that kind of adds another layer to the play of identities with that character specifically, like, who appears so uncomplicatedly, like, motivated by like by his conservatism by like the desire for power and then like this weird intertextual joke kind of like punctures that well yeah and like the and, uh, also like the weird ways in which he he does diverge from his system somewhat are like so so like uh 
uh, mind-numb, like, conservative, uh, like, idealism. Like, when, and when it's, it's very clearly, like, a George Bush line, but, like, when he refuses to pay the money to solve his problem in a politically expedient way, it's, like, um, the the one vision that he does have of him have of himself that he's unable to compromise is just like the just like the wettest uh just like neocon image and and it's so prideful and like static it's interesting to me too that like he is simultaneously embedded in the system and yet at no point is he at the top of the system or is he dictating anything like not even the like nsa equivalent director here. well that's his wife too right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. he is like they are intimately connected and yet and both of them stand within like positions of power in this like system and are like very exemplary representatives of its ideals but neither of them has ultimately any real power within the system. They're still being dictated to, like, by, like, historical materialist, like, kind of forces. Like, ultimately, it is the movie that, like, rejects, like, the idea that you can just, like, direct the anger and the, like, blame for the the political moment as it is at, like, Bush, at, like, the NSA, and instead, like, points to this whole, like, complex of political, historical, social, material forces that brought about the moment instead. Yeah, and, like, ultimately, you, you realize that the, that Frost character is just, like, a, uh, like, an unaware sock puppet, and... Um, yeah, if somebody above him has some kind of power, it's it's not some kind of unilateral power. But I suppose his wife is like the closest figure in the film to having some kind of unilateral power. She just can like bark orders and then police descend upon dissidents. Um, like the whole political system is an organism. It is organic in a way that prevents it from being like caricature in the like base sense and elevates it to caricature in a more interesting way where like the sense of like powerlessness even like in these powerful like ostensibly powerful figures ultimately like demythologizes them like demythologizes the era too i think in a way that's interesting and that like not even a lot of like revisionist post nine eleven kind of uh, texts do. Well, yeah, and like thinking about this, like this idea of powerlessness inside this kind of overwhelming political organism. The one of the I think more mysterious characters in the film, at least in part because he doesn't have a lot of airtime, is the guy who comes to buy drugs from Justin Timberlake. Um, and whose father did the reconstructive surgery on Timberlake's face, and who mm-hmm. Sean Price Williams um, interrupts a suicide attempt, and then they kind of like descend on this like uh, destined mission that they're unaware of. They pull an ATM machine out of the wall and like uh, drag it across behind their car. And then ultimately, he's like up top of floating ice cream uh, car, uh, shooting like a RPG at a blimp. 
but yeah, I mean, like, I think he's he's a figure who is is a uniquely powerless in the structure of the film in the sense that he doesn't share any of the same interpersonal relationships or any of the same kind of like uh, um, ideological missions of any of the other characters. He is outside of them. In some sense, he's swept into this and like is simultaneously powerless and yet like in some sense also narratively empowered because of that. Maybe like the only suitable audience surrogate who um, barely uh, plays a role in the film, except for he's like the most important ingredient in this kind of like sci-fi psychedelic destiny. No, it is like there's the sense that freedom is only able to be produced at the margins of like the filmic structure itself. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I love the ice cream truck. Holy, holy shit! An ice cream truck that is uh, uh, like an arms dealer, like a black market arms dealer who is vaguely associated with the neo Marxists. I also just like love ice cream. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I think I think uh, maybe somewhat obsessively about um, like ice cream in movies, but the first thing that I think about is just like Al Pacino and in. Uh, the Irishman, it's like the only way you know that he's good is that he just loves ice cream. Yeah, it's, oh my god, I love the the ice cream fixation of uh, Jimmy Hoffa. It's like, the film is littered with, like, great, like, like humanizing, motivic, like, gestures, and that's one of the best. Well, because he knows, because... Yeah, he knows that life is about pleasure and it's what like guides his decisions and everyone around him doesn't understand this. They don't know that life is about joy and pleasure. They think it's the mission. They think it's the orders, what they're supposed to do. And like Jim yeah. Hoffa just wants to eat ice cream. Yeah, but then ultimately he has implicated himself in their violent like system of domination and of like impenetrable like parasocial and social relationships like he is implicated in that like because of the power that he does hold like even insofar as like he is concerned he is like a hedonist to some degree Mm -hmm. uh he is also like ultimately he dies because of that tension between what his power requires and what he personally wants to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and this kind of like mistaken notion that, uh, his idealism has a purity that steps outside of the bounds of, uh, the way power works. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, I think, even though he's one of the most, like, recognizably human figures in that movie, uh, he is also one of the most pathetic people there. In a film filled with pathetic, pathetic men, like, he clings to this illusory power to the very end. Well, yeah, yeah. when it's totally pathetic, but it's so tragic, so, like, it, it never feels, like cloying or annoying because you know like he's going to be killed by his best friend like who would ever think their best friend could do that to them 
Yeah, and I mean, Robert De Niro in that movie is such a like mask, like a stone mask of a human being. Yeah, which which right. plays into the the face, the face tech, the CGI faces. Yes. This, oh my god! At some point, we have so to complex at length about the CGI in The Irishman. Yeah, it's so good. One of the best parts of the movie, easily. I agree. Damn, yeah. Oh my god. Another movie that people defame out of foolishness. Yeah, yeah now, um, I don't know anyone IRL who liked that movie, and I'm just like, it's a little bit stunning to me. This is so good, but like, people hate things that like ask for patience. I think this is a good place to kind of uh, try and put a cap on the discussion to whatever degree that we can. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, why did we? Why do you think this is an exemplar film to begin this journey through liquid movie karma? I think it is a good choice largely because it is, it's like everything that you could want a movie to do, it is trying to do. It is so colossal and so like stunning and aesthetic achievement that like I feel it's a good shadow to have over like anything else we might discuss. Yeah, it's all encompassing. It's so big. Yeah, I also think like uh, it's a movie that I saw in 2006 and enjoyed but didn't really have too much to think or say about it. Um other than that, I thought it was very funny. And I hadn't seen it um, until 06 or 07. And um, on your recommendation, or I kept seeing you post it, and you thought this would be a good film to do, I was like, yeah, I'm going to rewatch this. And the contribution of my lived experiences to understand and begin to unpack this film uh, like if if i had to like look at movies and think about like uh the total sum of the interpretive tools that i use like this is a film that i feel like bringing my lived experience into it especially like as it's been detailed through like therapy and traumatic experience is so much more rewarding on total than mo- like the vast majority of films that i watch yeah i feel the same way about it i was um very much unsure of like how I was gonna feel about it going into it when I first watched it because I was a, a Kelly neophyte. Um I had no experience with his work and I was only watching it because like it the can cut had just been screened in LA so everyone was talking about it. It's like, oh this seems interesting at least. And then I watched it and I was like, this is monumental. This is like, this is a pantheon movie. Like, and it was just so stunning. Like, it, it's, I think it's fair to say to some degree, it like reorganized and like rearranged the way I think about movies. But maybe that's being like over dramatic, but I think it's true, at least in my case, that this is like, a movie that because it demands, I think, so many interpretive tools is very good for kind of practicing like film criticism as like a totalizing art. But that's uh, just my take. Yeah. Do you have uh, do you have any double, triple, quadruple features? 
Mm, let's see. Um, mm, you go first. Okay. Let me okay. think for a second. I didn't think super hard about this, so whatever. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, Southland Tales, Antonioni's The Passenger, Laura Poitras's Citizen Four, and Jordan Peele's Us. Oh, that's interesting. I would go with Southland Tales, Nobuhiku Obayashi's Hanagatami, um, Francis Ford Coppola's Twixt, and Raul Ruiz's La Ville de Pirates. Damn. I need to see that Raul Ruiz movie so bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's genuinely one of my favorite movies. Cool. Okay, yeah, we should do double, triple, quad features uh, for every movie we discuss. In the future, it could be like a podcast thing. Yeah, I think the double feature structure, like things to move at like maybe a bit more of a clip, especially when there might not be as much material in like one movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, like in the future, talking about like the state of movies, because I think we both have like a, a fairly like cynical... Uh, or pessimistic like understanding of like where film culture is right now and like where industrial and independent filmmaking is oh absolutely yeah no that i think will be a uh, disheartening but uh also quite fun discussion when we do get to it yeah definitely uh yeah give a quick movie report how are like i say movies suck um but i love them what do you say I just, movies are good, but man, state of cinema is terrible. Just real bad stuff right now. There aren't enough people watching them. I think it literally has everything to do with so few people who are actually invested in watching movies. I mean, yeah, I think it's that and the result of like the like total mechanization of like critical opinion into like Rotten Tomatoes scores and things like that, which just have depersonalized film watching to such a degree that now, like, films don't try to be, like, genuinely personal or, like, weird or messy anymore. They try to, they try to, like, serve this kind of, like, mechanical surface gloss that provides them a wide availability to, like, both bourgeois, like, taste, and also people who are trying to, like, see themselves in movies but have not yet reached a stage where they can, like, actually seek out things that are made for them. And it's this kind of disreputable, like, uh, like branding movement around trauma that, like, has overtaken so much of film culture, like, recently that I find particularly odious yeah as if like uh trauma was not a discussion ongoing in all art all the time anyways like it's an assumption that like uh like uh traumatic experience is newly realized in the mass arts whereas it, it was excluded before like every goddamn horror movie every horror movie some way about trauma this is like, like people getting cut trauma. up into pieces and like eaten alive by werewolves and you're seriously gonna tell me like that has nothing to do with trauma like that's so fucking stupid i don't even know where to begin 
but now we've got them from like people who read a New Yorker article about like depression and, you know, are ready to tackle the subject and bring something really to it. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. Are you think we're done? 